Uh, good morning, everybody. I love seeing you guys greeting each other. Keep talking, I love it. Hope you feel welcome. Hope you feel glad to be at church and that someone made you glad. If you got invited, coerced, tricked, uh, bribed to coming to church today, I want to thank you for coming. And they owe you something free from the cafe after service, just so you know. They owe you. So make them take you over there and get an amazing coffee drink. Uh, we are launching now a new series called Abundant Life. We're going to do a, a study for the next six weeks in Psalm 23. And my hope is that this scripture study would be a little bit different than our normal series. Now, back in August, we started a series in the Gospel of Mark. Do you remember the books we printed? We printed these books and you could read the scripture and write your notes. It was a way of saying, hey guys, we take the word of God seriously here and we want to really study it and we want to get off our devices and just be looking at the word right here, writing down what we hear from from God. Well, this is the same spirit that we want to walk through this psalm for six weeks, line by line, verse by verse, and really take it in and discover just how deep even one line from the Bible can be in our life. And so we printed the scripture on these cards. Uh, hold it up for me. Let's just make sure you see this card. Ah, okay, look, we put a lot of love and effort into this. On the front, you'll see the psalm. On the back, there's ways that you can use the scripture. Our hope in this series is that we engage the scripture beyond just listening to the weekend service, but in a couple other ways. On the back, you'll see different ways that you can use the scripture outside of the service space to engage it with people around you, your spouse, your friend, your roommate, your teammate, your friend. One thing I'm hoping we'll all do together is memorize this psalm together. Now, anybody here particularly bad at memorizing things? Raise your hand, because I am one of those people. All right, there's a few of you knuckleheads out there that can join my party. Just cannot memorize anything. Takes a lot of effort. And so we're going to memorize this line by line, one verse per week. So this week, we're starting with verse one. And my hope is that by the end of this series, we've got the whole thing memorized together, um, one verse at a time. So I'm Inviting you this week to begin memorizing verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. All right. Nice and simple. So can't wait to dive into this with you guys. I wanted to invite us to stand and we're going to do something else special. We're going to recite it back and forth. So stand up with me for a minute. If you cannot stand, remain seated and you can do it from wherever you're most comfortable. Check this out. Um, we're going to do a call and response. Okay. This is how me and my family do it. All right, we got it all memorized. We might be in the car driving. You've heard me say this. And I might say, the Lord is my shepherd. And my kids will, in the back, say, nothing. And so, and we go back and forth through the whole psalm like that. In fact, this week, my wife did that to me in a moment. I needed to hear it. I'll bring that up a little later. But we're going to do that together right now, okay? So here we go. Now, let's, you, I'm going to be, my little part is that white part. You're the big, bold green so you can see it in the back. Back people, can you see that? Yeah? Yeah, okay. Here we go. You ready? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He refreshes my soul. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely your goodness and love mm. and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Okay, now some of you know where we're going with this. Now, when some of you don't. When, my, when we do this as a family, forever is an amazing thing. I don't want, let's not blow past that. Forever is an awesome thing. Forever with God, you will live forever. You know that. Come on. So when we get to that part, let's give it some gusto. Let's give it some special sauce, all right? Let's throw some of that bitchin' sauce on it and give it some pop. So here we go. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, everybody. Grab a seat. There's something just so fun about reading God's word together. Let me give you guys some background. The psalm, many of the Psalms were written by David. This one in particular certainly was written by David. David uh, was the youngest of seven children. He was that one that everybody forgot when the prophet Samuel came to find a son of Jesse to anoint as king. He was only told by God, it is one of Jesse's sons and just like God, he didn't tell Samuel which one exactly. And so he's there and he goes through six of, of Jesse's sons and he's like, it's none of these guys. And everyone's like, huh, weird. He's like, there's gotta be another one. And they're like, huh, oh, you're right. There is another one, the seventh one. David, he is out shepherding the sheep. We forgot about that guy. You ever forget one of your kids? Sometimes my mom, we have five kids when I was a, growing up as a kid. And my mom would sometimes just get her names mixed up. Too many kids. So they forgot David. David was out shepherding. He's the youngest of seven, easily forgotten. Yet he's the one that God told Samuel to anoint as king. But he started as a shepherd. And so David, starting as a shepherd, then became a warrior. And that started when he fought Goliath. Maybe you've heard the story of David and Goliath. And then that reputation as a warrior got him in trouble with the then king, King Saul, who became jealous of David's fame and popularity. And he became a fugitive running for his life. And then eventually, in God's timing, many years later, David became king. But it all goes back to that time when he was a shepherd and the way that as being a shepherd, God trained David to trust in him in the face of enemies that threatened the life of those who were under his care. He had to face the lion and the bandit and the bear. And it's also how David learned the tender kindness that is required of a leader in God's kingdom. It all goes back to that. And so David was also a gifted musician as well. And he wrote many psalms and songs. And we sang this psalm earlier. Did you notice that? Written by John Foreman. Uh, now, King Saul struggled with depression and anxiety. And David would often sing and play his musical instrument to him and would soothe and calm the king's anxiety and depression. And so for thousands of years, Psalm 23 has provided comfort, calm, and strength for people in all kinds of tribulations and trials. And it still speaks to us thousands of years later. Recently, Chris Pratt posted it on his Twitter or whatever they call it. And there it is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He's quoting this ancient song and 888,000 plus people said, man, I like that. God's word is still relevant and still, isn't that awesome? Yeah, I don't know. What's this? Uh, yeah, there's something amazing about the transcendence of God's word that continues to speak to us today, even though we have iPhones and drive cars, his wisdom continues. And so we're going to look at that first verse today. That's what we're going to focus on. One verse today. It's such a profound thought 
it's going to take up the rest of our time to really mine it for its treasures, its insight, and its promise. And here it is. The Lord is my shepherd. Come on. Now that's a powerful idea. We're going to take it in two parts. The first part, the Lord is my shepherd, tells us about who God is. The second part, I like nothing, tells us about the benefit and the experience of those who come under God's leadership as their shepherd. Let's start with the first. What does it mean about God that he designates himself as a shepherd? So let's talk about that. Now, the very beginning of this psalm starts with this phrase, the Lord. You see that? The Lord. Now, you see that all caps? Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe you're a new Christian, just haven't read your Bible in a while recently. Let me break that down. The psalm begins with this phrase, the Lord, and it represents what's in the Hebrew manuscript, the Tetragrammaton, or Tetragrammaton, whatever. You know, I like to give it a little sauce, Tetragrammaton. And it, it, it represents the Hebrew consonants, Y-H-W-H, that are in the Hebrew manuscript. And that is the name for God that we'll look at. It comes from Exodus. And because the early readers of the scriptures, we're talking to, you know, the early Jewish readers uh, had such esteem for the name of God. They wouldn't want to say his name. It was so sacred. So they would, they would substitute it with the Lord. Well, in our English translations, you'll, that's what we did. We just put the Lord rather than that Y-H-W-H. And the, the whole Hebrew or Old Testament Bible is, in the original manuscripts, has no vowels, by the way. It's all consonants. So they're not exactly sure what those vowels were, but they can guess it's something like Yahweh, Yehovah, something like that. But here's the point. What does his name, Yahweh, say about his nature? Because that's how this psalm starts. There's a lot there, actually. Look at this, Exodus 3, 14. Moses, in a fit of passion, killed two Egyptians who were beating up um, Hebrew slaves. Because at this time, right here at this time, Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians. Moses, being a Hebrew, but living among the Egyptians, saw the mistreatment of his people, killed the two Egyptians, and then had to flee for his life into the desert because he was being pursued by the Egyptians. And get this, 40 years after that moment, while he's out in the wilderness with his sheep as a shepherd, he has an encounter with God. He sees a bush. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. It makes him curious and God begins to speak to him. And in that conversation, God says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That I am, that I am is Yahweh. That is represented by that Y-H-W-H that we just saw at the beginning of this psalm. Are you with me? This is where he gives his self-designated name. So, you know, so this is different than saying, hey, what's your name? I am. And they're like, oh, I, I, I exist. I am what I am. Okay, you know, that's a different kind of statement than I'm Eric. I'm Ryan. I'm Thomas, right? This is a revelation of his nature. And this is what it says about his nature. I want to go to, to um, Popeye. No, no, I want to go to um, Dallas Willard. That's a joke, you know, the I am what I am. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I won't use that tonight at six. That didn't work. <laughs> no, check it out. There's a great book on Psalm 23 by Dallas Willard. One of my favorite books. There's so many books. Yeah, I know. There's tons that I'm not referencing. This is a great one. What's the other? Do we have a slide with the other books? Um, another book I really use. Do we have a slide with that? Maybe not. Oh yeah, here we go. Another great one. Kenneth Bailey, The Good Shepherd, a deep dive into the imagery of God as a shepherd throughout the whole Bible. This guy goes deep. 
super good. Anyways, back to the original slide. Here's a quote. I am is a statement of the nature of God as being. Get this, self-sustaining, self-sufficing, all-powerful, self-determined being. I am that I am means my being sustains my being. Now think about that. When God is giving this name, he's making a statement of his nature. This is the biblical doctrine of God's sufficiency. And what it represents is that God needs nothing outside of himself to be who he is and to do all that he says he will do. And that is not true for us, right? We need others to do what we say we will do, right? I need coffee today to stand up here this morning with you. Come on now. We need external resources to do what we say we will do. We run out of oxygen, food. We cannot do what we say we will do. We need others and we need external resources to be who we are, right? Every child is born through a mother and we need care and depend on others to take care of us and sustain us. Are you with me? But God doesn't need that. And this is what's so profound about that. You know, you go, okay, this is highfalutin theology. What? difference does this abstract idea about God mean? When he says, I am, when the psalm begins with Yahweh, I am, it's saying this. It's saying God needs nothing from you to be who he is to you and to do for you what he promises to do. He doesn't need you to love you. He doesn't need you to be cute. Doesn't need you to be kind. Doesn't need you to be Christian. Doesn't need to be generous to love you. Now, that's not always true about us, right? Don't you have that yet feature that you just feel like, this is what makes people like me. This is that feature that I use for when I want to break the ice and get people inter interested in me. I love to share about when I was first dating my now wife, you know, you, you want to put out your best features. You want to put it out there so they know, okay, this is what's going on. I had just done some triathlons. I was in the best shape of my life. And I said, babe, or I didn't call her babe then. I said, hey, Stacy, let's go to the beach. <laughs> And we're sitting down. I go, hey, I'm going to go down to the water. And, you know, I just wanted to show her my, my nice chiseled back from all my triathletes. You know, I was like, <laughs> made my way down there. I know, I know, goofy. But, you know, I, got, I, I wasn't sure how long I would be in that kind of form. So <laughs> it's long gone. But it worked. Years later, she remembered. <laughs> For others of us, it's our humor. I asked this couple, what was it that attracted you to your husband? And she said it was his humor. And still today, after 20 years of marriage, he just has this way of making me laugh. She goes, look at all the, the little crow's claws on my eyes. It's from all the laughter that he has put into my life. See, there are these features that are great things about us, but God, he delights in them in you, but he doesn't need them to love you, to forgive you, and to fulfill all his intentions in your life because he is self-sustaining. Consider this. God possesses infinite riches of being, wisdom, goodness, and power in and of himself. He doesn't depend on anyone or need any permission to love you. He says, I have compassion on whom I choose to have compassion, which is everyone. This is the doctrine of God's sufficiency. And it represents this, his abundance of being. He never gets tired. He never grows weary. And his love for you is always at full throttle, never ebbing and flowing, but always burning bright and strong. It also speaks to his abundance of grace toward us. 
the infinite resources of his grace and peace and provision for our life, which we'll talk about in a minute. Now, this speaks to the fact that God is the I am. He sustains all living things. In him, as it says in Colossians, all things hold together. Now, the one who is the cause of all being, the upholder of all things, I quoted this scholar here, who is illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, get this, very theological, indescribable in his essence. Let's go to the next slide, right? The holder of all the galaxies and the universe in his hand wants to be known to you as a shepherd. Now I'll show the next slide. Now just wrap your mind around that. Now some of us know God right now in this room as that unmoved mover, that creator, that, that out there transcendent being that is the reason we exist, but you don't know him this way. When I was in high school, my friend called me out. Maybe you remember the story. And he's all, you always call God the big guy upstairs but you can't say the name of Jesus. And I go, yeah, it's kind of fanatical to say Jesus. It's like, ooh, I'm a Jesus freak. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. It's almost like I was uncomfortable with God getting too personal. But that's exactly what God wants. And maybe you know God as this unmoved mover, this big guy upstairs, but you don't know him in a personal way. And what, God wants you to know this morning is that's not enough for him because he loves you. And it's not enough for your life because he wants you to know him in a personal way. And that gets to what this represents about the shepherd and his imagery. See, in the Bible, there's all kinds, go to the next slide. There's all kinds of imageries of God. He is king, he is rock, he is shield, he is fortress, but a shepherd is personal, right? A rock is like an inanimate object and all those imageries speak to the power of God, the stability of God, but a king is not up in your business, walking with you, overseeing you, present with you. A king leads from afar, but a shepherd is with us. And that leads us to two things. The imagery of shepherd reveals the nature of God's relationship and leadership in two ways. And one, that it's personal. That the nature of God's leadership is personal, up close. Uh, Orville, one of our pastors told me this old phrase that a shepherd smells like their sheep, right? They've been hanging out with the sheep and they got that sheep smell. God, who knows what it is, but you know. It's that smell of whatever's going on over there with the sheep. It's like, think of a, a parent walking into service with baby vomit on their shoulder, right? That is the smell of a shepherd with their sheep, their little lamb, that smell, that, you know, the poopy, vomit, dirty, lamby smell, that's the shepherd's smell. And that's why shepherds were not esteemed, was not an esteemed career because like, oh, gross. You're one of those guys. And yet Jesus as a shepherd came and clothed himself in our humanity and was not afraid to take on the fragrance of our humanity, even our brokenness and our sin on the cross. And we'll talk about that soon. 43 times there's references to God as a shepherd over our life. Look at this one, Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. Now, you know, I love this so much. Let's read it out loud together. It's so good, you're gonna love it. Let's read it out loud. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. 
He gently leads those that have young. Pay attention to four verbs. Tends, gathers, carries, leads. Do you know God in your life like this? Come on now. Mm. Now listen. Some of us don't. We know God in that distant maker way, the one who's in charge, but we don't know him in this up close and personal way. Sometimes it's because we have a family wound. We have a hole in our heart. Maybe as a child, parents that weren't there for us, a wound, a daddy wound, a mommy wound. Sometimes it's because we just, we never come to know Jesus and know God personally that way. Others of us, we are believers, but we're in a trial that is so dark that we feel separated and disjointed from that closeness of God. But this morning is about reminding us about the nearness, the tenderness, the God who carries us close to his heart. Look at the adjectives, close and gently. This is God. Number two, it reveals not just his personal nature of leadership, but the sacrificial nature of his leadership, his love. John 10, 14, Jesus takes on this imagery of the shepherd. There's seven I am statements in the gospel of John. This is one of them. And he's appropriating this imagery to fulfill what it had always intended to mean. God no longer up there, you know. God right here in his flesh and blood. And he says, I am the good shepherd. You see that language, I am? Does that look familiar? Remember we talked about, I am what I am. In the Greek, it's ego eimi, and it is the echo of the Hebrew, I am. Jesus saying, I am the she good shepherd, meaning Yahweh, the good shepherd, has arrived and is in the flesh. That's what Jesus was doing. I am the good shepherd. I am in the flesh. And he lays down, look at that last part. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I wanna just read this whole thing. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. There's that personal relationship. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. Now here it is. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now that's what shepherds do. Why? Because when the wolf or the lion or the bandit comes, the shepherd doesn't run from their sheep in their hour of need. And that's what Jesus is drawing on here. Let me give you an illustration. I was just reading a story of a three-year-old. A father and his four kids were up on a bridge. This is true. I found it. It's in the news. And um, in Minnesota, and his three-year-old fell off the bridge and into this cold lake and the turbulent cold waters. And what would a, any father, any father in this room, what would you do? seeing your three-year-old fall, and then you're going to go in after that kid. And that father dove in after his son. And in rescuing his son, he sacrificed his own life and drowned. But his son lived. Now, when you hear a story like that, when you hear that, when you see it in a movie or you hear it intimated in a song, sacrificial love. There's something that grabs you, even in a movie as silly as like Avengers, you know, you know, Iron Man is there and he has grabbed a hold of the infinity glove or whatever, you know, and he's, he's defeated Thanos, you know, even in a silly movie like that, man, you can't help but get choked up when you see sacrificial love. Is it because we're just sentimental creatures? I think it's more than that. I think that there is deep in our spirit, our soul, 
a homing beacon that when we see sacrificial love, it points us back to God and the love that he has purposed to demonstrate for us on the cross to lay down his life even before the world was created. Deep in our hearts, we are drawn to the fragrance of God, recognizing him in his sacrificial love in nature. That is a shepherd. And Jesus on the cross was not afraid of our sin and the evil in the world. Where is God in the evil in the world? Christians throughout history have pointed to the cross. Where is Jesus in all the suffering and the evil? He went to the cross to overcome it, to make a way through it. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, I am the shepherd. And because he is who he is, it takes us to the second part. Because God is who he is, he can say this. I lack nothing. So here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. Come on. You said it better than 845. They kind of were like, I don't know. (laughs) It's not always easy to say that, is it? Sometimes it's hard to say the Lord is my shepherd. This week was a hard week. I ain't going to lie. Sometimes, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes when you ask most preachers, they'll tell you when they're preaching on something in some way, God is going to ask them and require them to live it out and live through it in some way in their, in their week. It's a, it's a funny thing about preaching. And this week was a week that tested me to my limits of my own resources internally and externally. And I was more aware of what I lacked than what I have in Christ. And I was Thursday, Thursday came and man, I was just exhausted. By the end of the day, I was beat up. You know, I was sitting with my wife and she looks at me and she just says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I knew what she wanted to hear. (laughs) And I, I'm going to admit it to you guys. I looked at her and I said, I like nothing. I did, I did, I did. I didn't have that. I didn't have what you see right now up here. I didn't have that. And I lack nothing. God is so good. No, I didn't have that. I was like, I lack nothing. You know, there's two things that happen when you see this line. I lack nothing. What a powerful statement, right? Think about that statement. It kind of brings up two things, I think, for us. One, maybe for some of us, it brings up Memories, all the ways in which we have experienced God's provision in our life. Maybe right now what comes to mind for you is a memory of God and his goodness to you. Maybe it's the person that you have your arm around right now, the provision of that friend, that loved one. Maybe it's a provision of something in your life, like a material need, a spiritual and emotional. Maybe there's peace in your life. Maybe there's a confidence. Maybe you finally are experiencing a breakthrough and answered prayer. Is there some memory that comes to mind for you? Can you think of an area in your life, a moment where God fulfilled that promise and you could see it because he's your shepherd where once you lacked, you no longer did because he broke through. Come on, okay, come on. I think for others of us, it brings up a memory of a disappointment or It brings to mind right now this phrase, I lack nothing. Some area of your life where you are acutely aware of what you lack and what you're missing. And you're wondering, where is God? Maybe you even left God out of the equation because it just feels too dark for you. 
and you can't see any way in which God can move in that area. And that speaks to what I think this David means. What does David mean when he says, does he mean we're not going to have trials in life? Is David writing some kind of pie in the sky sentimental statement that is oblivious to all the troubles in the world? If you look at the rest of the Psalm, clearly David is not. David acknowledges in three places. Number one, if you just look at verse four, he acknowledges the dark valley, which is translated the valley, the shadow of death. He knows what it is to be in a dark valley with a threatening presence, threatening the lives of his sheep, unsure what's going to happen. And then he mentions in the next verse, part of the verse, I will fear no evil. It's hard to say that we lack nothing when we're faced with evil. Cancer is evil. It's hard to say I lack nothing when you're in the face of some manifestation of evil in our life because evil makes us feel powerless. It makes us feel what is wrong with the world. It makes us go, where is God? And we feel helpless with the evil and the injustices in the world. And it's hard to say I lack nothing. Sometimes, and he acknowledges right here in verse five, in the presence of my enemies, when you're eye to eye with an enemy, he doesn't say right here, um, in the fear of my enemies or remembering my enemies. Look at this verse five, in the presence of my enemies. When you were eye to eye, toe to toe with an enemy, and they were before you. It's hard to say, I lack nothing. And maybe you're there now. So what does David mean by this? It's not pie in the sky, pretending like everything is okay. I want to just take us into the depths of what this is addressing. First, listen to this scripture, Romans 8, 37. Look at this scripture. Paul, in writing about all of his experiences of trial and tribulation and pain, has a moment of just supernatural insight into the good shepherd leadership of God in his life. He writes, no, in all these things, in the face of enemies, death, and evil, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, oh no, you feeling it? I'm feeling it. We got, okay, let's do this together. Can you see that? Let's start at the top. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that is what David is talking about. And I really think that in this moment, it's not sentimentality. I think, number one, it's a reflection of promise, that God's provision meets us in three specific ways, I think, in, or general ways. One is just in very, like, uh, the breadth of God's provision. When he says, I like nothing, he's saying there is no area of our life that is outside of God's interest and concern and readiness to involve himself, our emotional life. Our physical life, you think, oh, God's spirit. He doesn't care about my body. I'm going to die, so he doesn't care. It's all spirit. I just met a man that, last week who was telling me about that weekend service where we prayed for physical healing. He was healed 
of prostate cancer. Laid his hands on his body, went to the doctor, and they're like, it's gone. I know, I know what you're thinking. What about my cancer that still remains? I'll talk about that in a second. When we pray for healing, we don't see everyone healed, but the more we pray for healing, the more healing we see. No, I don't know why some, yes, some no. We know it's not God's lack of God's love, but I think there's a third point I'll get to, you'll hear it. But God cares about our bodies. He cares about your needs. So you're not any less spiritual to pray for a parking spot than someone who is praying for cancer in their loved one, because it all in the end is bringing us back to the all-sufficient one. And that's what God wants with us, that in all things, small and large, that we're being drawn back in our dependence on God because it all glorifies him. One time I lost my wallet, maybe you heard this story, and I was so frustrated, you know, I wasn't spiritual, I wasn't, I lacked nothing, God, I was angry. And uh, my son, my little boy, he goes, he goes, let's pray about it. And I, I can't remember how he said it, but he's like, have you prayed about it? And I was like, ugh, all right. And my little boy, I better, okay, I better practice what I preach. No, no, this is like one of those little moments. I share these little moments that aren't every time, but they're, they kind of give you little reminders of God. So I prayed, and as we were praying, we were praying together, he was praying, and I just got the image of my wallet right on the side, passenger side, tucked under the seat. I ran up there, looked, and there it was. It just silly things. It all just brings you back to God. The breadth of God's compassion, emotional, physical, spiritual. Number two, the practical, immediate provision of God. This, the things that are going on in your everyday life. The small, the big stuff, you're bringing it to God. All things, I like nothing. It encompasses everything. And thirdly, God's sustaining provision. There are some trials that are meant to do a greater work than just simply be resolved immediately. Now that is a truth in scripture. Think of Jesus's death and resurrection. It required a full process. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't something he was rescued from. It was something he was rescued through by the power of his father. He went through the cross. There are some trials that we are going to go through. They are not caused by God, but God will use them for his inscrutable and gracious eternal purpose to transform us, to bring to light those areas of doubt, distrust, to purify us. And secondly, to reveal us so that the goodness of God, even in trial, might shine in a world full of pain that people might see in the midst of trial that God is greater even than our suffering. That takes us back to the early believers who were laying down their life and in their martyrdom. They weren't glorifying God because they were whisked away by God out of the arena of the Colosseum of ancient Rome where they were being thrown to animals. No. They flipped the Roman Empire upside down because in their death, they held to their faith and stunned the crowds and changed an empire. They said, who is this God that people will lay down their life for? There are some trials that you're going through that are transforming you and they're revealing the greatness of God in you. And he will give you everything you need to persevere and hang in there. Maybe you need some of that today. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. I want to just invite the band to come on up. And as the band comes up, I want to just touch on the last aspect of this. 
When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, I think that David is not just acknowledging a promise, but he's making a declaration over his life. He is declaring over all the challenges he knows he will face, enemies, dark valleys, and evil. And he's saying, I lack nothing. I will lack nothing. It's a declaration over the moments that are going to want to lie to him and deceive him into thinking God has abandoned you. You don't have what you need to focus him on what he doesn't have and lose perspective of what he has in Christ. And I think some of us need to do that this morning. Some of us have lost perspective that in Christ, we have all that we need and that God is going to sustain us. And he wants to renew in us our faith and confidence that in him we lack nothing. Nothing can separate us from his love, his purpose for us, and his goodness in our life. And it needs to become a declarative statement. On Thursday, my wife and I were just so exhausted and beat up from a hard week, and I'd been working all day. Early in the morning, I'd been here on the campus all day, all day, and went and got a quick dinner, and just wondered if I should come back for the evening worship. Or should I just go home and call it a day? And I just called my wife and I said, how's your day been? She's like, oh, it's been a hard day. It's been a really hard day. And I said, you know what? Let's meet. Let's get a quick dinner. And let's meet back at church. And let's worship. We came to the Thursday once a month worship night. Are you guys there? It was just lights out. It was lights out, dude. They started worshiping. And next thing you know, me and my wife, we were dancing. We were just throwing the hands in the up. It wasn't emotionalism. But as I was just uh, through the worship, setting my eyes on the greatness of God, it just put everything in perspective. And I could feel the joy of the Lord just filling me, strengthening me. I was with Nick and V, and we just huddled up. We both had, you know, had house issues. We were huddling up, just praying together. Man, we walked out of there a thousand pounds lighter. My circumstance hadn't changed, but my perspective had shifted and my faith had risen and the joy of the Lord was in my heart. As we go into this song, where do you need to declare over your life that the Lord is your shepherd and you will lack nothing to stand your ground and finish your race? With every breath that I am able, I love that line because it's not about when you're feeling like it. It's not about when everything's working out. It's especially not when you can see how it's all gonna work out. That's the power of Psalm 23, that in the midst of not being able to see it, in the midst of being in that valley, in the midst of not having in hand what you need, you can say, the, because the Lord is my shepherd, because Yahweh, the I am, is my shepherd? No, I have what I need. I can't see it, I can't feel it, but I have it. As we go into the communion, I want to just wrap it up with this. I will often share about a season of depression when, man, the resource I lacked was joy. My personality is a very outgoing, exuberant personality, but for five years, a shadow came over that joyful spirit, and I was in a very dark place. And I'll never forget a night of worship where I walked in and I did not feel God. I did not feel like anything was gonna work out. I was ever gonna get through this dark period. And I thought, this is it. My life is now consumed by this darkness. I'll never be the same. And this, the worship lyrics were up just like this, just some song declaring the goodness of God. And I, just something in me rose up. 
I don't care how I feel. I don't care what's happening. I don't honor and praise God because of my circumstance or how I feel. I praise him because of who he is. And I defy my circumstance. I declare over my depression, your goodness, God. You will bring good through this. You will bring good. I don't know how you're going to do it, God. I don't know when you're going to do it, but you're going to do it in your way, your time. And that's what we're talking about this morning. He is your shepherd and you lack nothing. And right now, maybe what you lack is so big and strong, you need a fresh renewing of God's sufficiency for you. So that's why we're going to do communion. Can I steal yours? All right. Here's our cup. When we take communion today, it is an act of defiance. God, on, your, on the cross, you died and shed your blood so that in my life, I might receive the storehouses of your provision. This is an act of faith that God, your shepherd, in laying down his life, has arranged it so you will lack nothing in body, mind, and spirit. Not even death itself is going to separate you from God. If you peel back that top layer, you're going to see that little wafer. We hold up that wafer. Ah, you got a, a full one. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, that wafer, it represents the body of Christ broken for us. Let's eat this in remembrance of his body broken for the salvation and the grace of our body, mind, and spirit through his death. Let's eat this in remembrance of him. Um, feel back the, the cover to the cup that represents the blood of Jesus. We drink this in remembrance of his forgiveness for us. Let's drink this in remembrance of Jesus' provision for forgiveness, salvation, renewal, cleansing of our life. If you don't know Jesus as a shepherd of your life and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, we have a prayer team that's up here in the front. Kelly's up here. Who's up? Yep. We got Buzz. We got people ready to come up and pray with you. If you would like to pray with someone today to receive Jesus as Savior, would you come up and let these guys pray with you? If you have an area in your life where you need a renewed confidence that you lack nothing in Christ, then please come up. Let us minister to you. And for the rest of you, I have 400 lollipops waiting for you outside. God bless you. I'll see you next week.